home builders are making a lot of money. And people think that they're not getting paid parapasu with each sale. So they're paying off the loans first. They might make a little bit of money depending on their, their construction loan agreement. But the, really the bulk of their earnings comes after they've paid off the bank and they have the remaining assets left yeah. to sell. So I, I don't think that there's a, as much impact to the home builders now. They've been, certainly been a lot more conservative and smarter and holding a lot more capital, which is what they didn't do last time. They were highly leveraged. But I, I think it's a long, long, painful road for them to figure out what's coming next because you have this weird period in the economy that we're in right now where there's clearly a supply issue. Yet there's, I think it was 64% or something like that, some crazy number. I could find it. That the, we're at the highest home ownership rate in history right now, which flies in the face of America becoming a renter economy. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. You heard the intro. You already know. This is the higher standard. And we decided today we were going to be smarter about our introduction. Be, be catchy. Be current, right? Right. Okay, so I am your host. And I am your co-host. Actually, I was thinking about I go first. I'll do like the title thing. Clearly, we haven't worked this out. We haven't worked this out. So I was thinking, I am your host, also known as the Sasha Baron Cohen of podcasting. Yeah. And I am Mr. Crispy High Resolution Audio himself. Did you just steal my own goddamn intro language? I, I did that. I, but my, but people have said I sound oh, better than you. You really do. I don't know if it's the spot that I'm sitting in. No, or no, whatever, no, no, no. You like just the like the way I sound. Just admit it. I don't like the way you sound right now. Yeah. You sound like an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> Let's get in the data before we lose our five followers. Yeah, there you go. U.S. housing affordability in June was the worst since 1989, baby. The 80s. You weren't even born yet. Right. No, I was not. I was. <laughs> you have to think about it. That's yeah, terrible. yeah, exactly. Record high home prices combined with rising mortgage rates price more buyers out of the market, prompting existing home sales to fall. That's a shocker. Yeah. I mean, they're listing it way too high. Houses aren't appraising. So I want to talk about this specifically because I think there's a couple different pieces of information that can be gleaned from why this is happening. Okay. But more importantly, the fact that you're still seeing the rhetoric of all these things being rosy, right? Like the job, the job market, the unemployment market, all these things are great. And, and yet you see a headline like this and you're like, well, this is bad, right? Right. Okay. Well, the answer is kind of in the question. Housing affordability worse since 1989, 1989, the 80s was another interesting economy. But more important than that, Housing is not a leading indicator. It's a lagging indicator. So I think people thought when we started talking about recessionary economies, when you start seeing it in the news and these things became very sensational, mm -hmm. that we were going to see a, a dynamic and quick shift. Yeah, exactly. And that's just not the way this works. No, these, these types of indicators take, it's a drawn out process. So like people hear the term lagging indicators thrown around. Mm -hmm. And I know it's a little, it's self-explanatory in the term itself, but to break it down a little bit further, those are things that provide insight into movements in the economy after changes have occurred. All right. So we're, we're going to be educational this week. Yeah. Instead of just our usual sarcastic assholes. Right. You prepared to act like we're important for a minute? Just for a minute. Right, right, right. All right, here we go. There are three types of economic indicators. There's coincident indicators, which change simultaneously with the condition of the general economy. Okay. So examples of that would be the gross domestic product, GDP, non-agricultural employment, personal income, inventory, and industrial production. Stuff like that, it just changes. You see the data, it's live. Right. And for our purposes and real estate investors, right, serves little to no purpose. 
I mean, not hugely. I think transactional stuff is more important. And to get transactional reports, which is a lagging indicator, Mm -hmm. you get after the fact. Because a lot of it has to do with the way this data is compiled. I would argue that GDP, frankly, is not really a coincident indicator. I think GDP is kind of delayed. We saw that recently, all the GDP talk we've had. Yeah. I think there's been more focus on GDP during this recessionary economy than ever before. The second type of indicator is one you just referenced, lacking indicators. And it's funny because this is the definition. And this is literally the way it's read. I'm going to read it to you just the way. This is the definition. This is not me being, you know, my usual asshole self because we're trying to be professional. Right. right Exactly. All right. Lagging indicators provide investors insight into movements in the economy after changes have occurred, like you've noted, establishing a certain pattern or trend. Investors use lagging indicators to validate long term trends where the economy has been as, as opposed to where it currently is. Right. And current economic conditions. Ready? Here's a quote. Lagging indicators include new home sales, home price indexes, employment, corporate profits, and labor costs per unit of output. Here we go. Do not rely on lagging indicators as tools for predicting future trends in the real estate market or the general economy. And what's the number one thing that they keep citing? They keep citing labor and housing. Yeah, exactly. These are clearly lagging indicators we've been talking about. And the, and the third one is leading indicators which detect economic changes before they actually become apparent in the economy. Thinking leading indicators is a preview of the economic events that are coming. Some of the most used leading economic indicators, the new residential construction report, very much a weekly one, the weekly jobs claims, durable goods orders, the S&P 500, things you see actively in real time in the stock market. Those three indicators, the types of indicators for almost all economics. Right. But so most importantly, for those leading indicators, they are viewed as like a preview. Like when you tune into this podcast and the first clip you hear in the beginning of the podcast, that's a preview of what a five-star rating podcast sounds like. I'm pausing for emphasis because I want everybody to know we are five stars once again. We are five stars and we are welcoming more five-star ratings. We are welcoming more five-star ratings. If you think about leading a less than five-star rating, you should probably pause, control yourself, think about what's going on in your life and your yeah, day. Yeah, don't take it out get, on us. Get back, to, yeah. get back to you. Here's another theory. Leave a good review to get a good review. You know what I mean? Oh, there I will you go. find you and single you out. <laughs> I'm that guy. There's only five of you out there. He is the Iranian ne- Liam Nielsen. What's his name? Liam Neeson. Jesus. Yeah, he's, I mean, I he's, said I was. I said I was the Sasha Baron Cohen of podcasting. We went into the podcast with yeah, that. How okay, you all right, but you're you're Sasha Baron Cohen if you want really, that. Wait, I, Jeff Goldblum of podcasting. There you go. Is that much good? better. That's better. Much better. Those glasses that you have. Yeah, you're Jeff Goldblum. Yes, he has the exact same glasses. That's right. Yeah, I'm yeah you're a freak for knowing that. I'm not a freak for knowing it. He wears the same glasses as I do. Well, I mean, you copied him. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. The irony of a title uh, in a headline like U.S. housing affordability in June was the worst since 1989. On the same day that that article came out, mm-hmm. another article came out. Home prices hit a new record high in the second quarter. Wow. That's a direct quote from the headline. The median single-family existing home price in the second quarter was 413500 the first time this quarterly price has ever risen above 400000 according to, of course, the National Association of Realtors. Mm-hmm. But here's what I would say, is that at the same time, people are looking at this massive demand fall off, right? yet prices are still going up. I think there's a little bit of pent-up demand from people who were trying to buy homes that couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. We know that housing is a lagging indicator. And people, people have asked the question online in, in DMs recently, well, how long does a lagging indicator lag? Mm-hmm. There is no uniform answer to that. Right. We just know that it takes time. I mean, we talked about this in our previous podcast where the unemployment figure hit its high after the Great Recession. It was already declared to be ended. Yeah, 10%. It was 9.1%, I think, when, when the Great Recession ended. It's lagging like that. A little bit yes and no. What I would say is I think we're in a different time. Yeah, I mean, every recessionary economy is different. Well, not even not only that, I think what we've done is we've taken so much movement out of the economy that I don't think that, actually, I've got, I've got a great metric for this, and I don't know that I, I put it in, in the show notes, but I'm going to go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I do. Here we go. All right. So a lot of people were saying that interest rates, like the, the mortgage rates, were not going to move when the Fed interest rate changes happened. Remember, that was that one realtor in the car we talked about in a previous podcast? Yeah. Well, what I did is I pulled a chart of the dates uh, the Fed interest rate increases. March 17th, 2022, 25 basis points. Mm-hmm. May 5th, 2022, 50 basis points. June 16th, 2022, 75 basis points. And June 27th, 2022, 75 basis July. points more. Uh, July, sorry. Yeah. I can't read it again. Recurring trend. The Fed funds rate started at 25 basis points, 0.25%, and is now at 2.5%. Right. I don't think this is going to be an easy transition for the Fed to try to figure out because, again, with all these lacking indicators we want they're pointing to. 
But when you overlay these dates and these rates over the 30-year rates right. from Freddie Mac, as reported by them, in both the, well, actually just mortgage rates, 5-1 arm, a 15-year arm, and the 30-year, mm-hmm. all of them have moved up shortly thereafter or the day of these interest rate increases. Right. I mean, it's visible on the chart. And you know, I wish I could share with everybody who checked the social media out. It's, it's, it's been posted before. So if anyone's giving you any nonsense about the Fed interest rate increases not impacting rates, that is not true. And until that yield curve inverts, which will happen eventually and goes back the other way, or stops inverting, if you will, mm-hmm. we're going to see this continue to rise. It's gonna, it has to continue to rise, especially if, I don't care if CPI is down from 9.1 to 8.5. They're, the goal is to get it to 2 or 3%, right? Two, yeah, so that's, that's, that's a whole different conversation. So if you're a Democrat, you say, oh, it's 0% month-over-month increase. Mm-hmm. If you're a Republican, you say, it's still almost 9%, 8-something percent over last year. Right. And that's the political spend that people aren't really cognizant of. You have to understand that someone's political party gives them a reason to want to spend that as to either being a good improvement or a not good improvement. Yeah. Also, one of the things I've heard a lot about recently, is people were talking about mortgage rates, they drop below 5%. Mm-hmm. And now they're crept up. I think at the time of this podcast, they're just over five and a quarter percent. Yeah, exactly. Five, right. I think it was five point two two. Yeah, five point two two. There you go. So rates from a thirty year fix five point two two, according to Freddie Mac's data. And I think a lot of people were saying, okay, well, why the dip? And I thought, well, that was pretty obvious because we price these things in before we do the Fed interest rate increases. And now they've seen them move. There was a little bit of a relief when some of the data came out because keep in mind, mm-hmm. one of the lagging indicators came out, right? And we knew that we knew that unemployment now had ticked down as opposed to ticking up. And I think that's where a lot of this came from. But here's what I'll tell you is impactful that happened this week. Okay. Loan Depot has now shut down their wholesale lending group. <sighs> shut it down. They're getting out of the market. They, their press release called it a, quote, mistake. Wow. So that's, uh, for those of you who don't know, that's direct to broker wholesaling it that way, right? Huge part of their business. Huge part of their business and, and a significant amount of capital outlay to get that business up and running, not to mention and keep it going. Then Wells Fargo, uh, I want to say it was just yesterday, has announced that effectively they're closing down their correspondent lending. Wow. Which when you think about what Wells Fargo is, they were once the most valuable bank in the country. Mm-hmm. And they're no longer that. They've had a, a huge amount of issues stemming a lot from the beginning uh, of that whole scandal uh, with opening up uh, you know, accounts and shadow accounts and stuff like that. I, I used to work side, at Wells Fargo during culture. that time. Did you really? During yeah, that during, during that time. And I, I had... I wasn't a, a sales rep directly, so I didn't feel the pressure. Um, but I was being told force to sale, to sale, and it was it felt bad if you know they were forcing you to sell credit cards to people that you knew had no idea how to manage their credit. Of course, you know, and aside from just opening accounts and whatnot. But and I still have accounts that are open to this day that that were open at Wells Fargo that I never authorized. That were like shadow accounts just sitting out there. Yeah, and I have no idea how, when, who, none of that stuff. And they're like, "Well, honey, you sure these accounts open for you?" I'm like, "What? That's your vacation account." Yeah, right. That being said, it's it's kind of weird to me to see Wells Fargo reposition them, themselves. They're, they're really trying to be a quote consumer bank now. When you think about it, a correspondent banking division isn't really a consumer banking product. Mm-hmm. So they're going to pull out and focus on people with existing relationships, which doesn't necessarily surprise me. But now you've got two more companies shutting down entire divisions. Right. This is going to add to unemployment. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely will. So that lagging indicator with all the names we talked about the last couple shows, that, that's, I mean, I don't know how you don't tick that up during the next report. Like, how does that not go up based on just all the names you know? I know. And especially because the Fed said that they're going to shift their focus and now look more towards the PCE report. Mm-hmm. Right. And that apparently removes housing, food, and gasoline as an emphasis. It doesn't em- emphasize it as much as the CPI does. So, but here's, here's what's weird about that. So now oil and gas prices have dropped, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, food prices have gone up almost exponentially. Right. So those two kind of counterbalance. I don't see those. I don't think there's a whole lot of value in them shifting their focus to PCE versus CPI. Right. And I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot, even some reports now coming out saying that it's cheaper to eat out than it is to go buy groceries and meal prep your foods. Ah, you think so? That's what, that's what some of the reports are saying. Well, that's what fat people say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. And only one of the two of us here has been called fat lately. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, by one person. It doesn't matter. You've been I'll called call fat lately. Black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I don't call me skinny. He's like, man, you look good. 
You weren't all black in the studio. No, you were black yeah. walls. You no, blended man. He looked at me, he sized me up and down. He's like, bro, he was a physique competitor himself. He looked at my physique. He was like, you look good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take that and run with it. I don't want to say this on the radio, but. On the radio? I, How I old are that. you? Damn it. That's Damn. The second time I did yeah, that. Yeah, enough. I don't want to say this on the show, but I'm going to go ahead and say it on the show because you keep going back here. Uh -huh. Sometimes people lie to your face because they're trying to be nice. No, no, not that's to my face. Oh. Really? 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 Yeah. You want to go here? No. Okay. Good call. Okay. Because. I was going to introduce you a completely different way in the next podcast. <laughs> okay. So Bank of America, speaking of Bank of America, had their chief economist uh, come out. And I don't know why he decided to give an interview, but there were some really interesting things in it. Okay. And the chief economist doesn't necessarily align with Brian Moynihan and his position as of late. And you guys should go back and check out that podcast where we, we highlighted how much of a genius he is. <laughs> now, this is a real Brian Moynihan, guys. This is the bank nerd you guys don't know about. Yeah. Or the moron. Right. Either way. Recent research from Alan Blinder, a former Federal Reserve Board vice chairman and Princeton economist, so he's got a good resume, Yeah, identified 11 tightening cycles since 1965, of which eight were followed by recessions. So odds are... Odds are eight out of 11 yeah. that we're going to have oh, yeah, yeah. a recessionary yeah, economy. We're in a recessionary economy. Yeah, well... And that, that's the funny thing. I don't know if I, I think last time we talked about it, the uh, inverse that they needed more time to look at the data. Mm -hmm. They've actually come out and said they need about a year. Okay. So, I mean, that, that's oddly convenient that we'll be through the midterms and halfway into the election before the National Bureau of Economic Research actually declares any I mean, kind of recession. We're not going to get economy. conspiratorial. Goddamn. Goddamn. Nailed that. Your grammar is on 100,000 today. Yeah. Got it. So good. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but touching on that, so I know we said that. Uh, housing can be viewed as a lagging indicator, but one that could be viewed as maybe a leading indicator, right? Uh, is uh, home building, right? Yeah, and they have been they have been kicked right in the ding ding, man. I've been looking at a lot of the numbers on them. Mm -hmm. It's it's bad. I mean, not only concessions, but their numbers are are bad. So I so I read a report today that said builder sentiment dropped six points in August to forty nine, and for those of you listening, anything below fifty is considered negative. Which that makes it the eighth straight month in decline for the index. Yeah. So I once watched uh, the CEO of Lennar and the CEO, I can't remember the, damn it, I can't remember the other name the home builder was, but there was two home builder CEOs mm -hmm. at uh, a conference talking about the economy. This was the CEO summit back at Yale. Mm -hmm. We were in New York and the whole point is Jeff Sonnenfeld, uh, who's a professor at Yale, has Harvard pedigree. He's really well known as, as a leader in, in kind of the management space. Right. He would put people that he knew had different opinions against each other in conversations. Okay. So what he would do is he would ask these two CEOs their thoughts on things. They would give their answers. And then he would ask bankers on the other side of the table what their thoughts were, knowing that the bankers had a different perspective of where the market was going than the home builders. Kudos to everyone showing up and being willing to have that kind of discussion. Well, they do it so long as you can't take photos that only the CEO summit, quote, the, the, the organizer of the event can actually release the information. And they do anonymous polls there. So everybody has like a little polling thing uh, in their okay. hand. Very cool. And they'll do polls. And then it actually is almost like a spectator sport where people like us, you know, myself, who's a nobody, mm -hmm. gets to sit around the outside of the perimeter. Right. And we get to watch and, you know, sometimes participate and stuff like that. But basically these CEOs, I mean, you had Lloyd Blankfein there. I mean, you had some heavy hitters in the room. Mm -hmm. And they're just literally answering questions anonymously about their perspective. And, and Jeff would ask questions about the economy. Yeah. And they would all answer. But back to the point with these home builders is it was shocking to me back then how rosy and optimistic they were and how somewhat detached they were to the economics at play. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's like a home builder type A, like aggressive male kind of pat. I don't, I don't know. Do you think maybe it could be the type of scenario where you're so close to the data, the paper's so close to your face that it's, you'd have to really pull yourself back to. But then I look at what you just said, right? So they've been pulling back for eight straight months. Eight straight months. And then the uh, National Association of Home Builders Chief Economist Robert Dietz, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Dietz, Robert Dietz, right? the Germans. Is, yeah, he said, I'm the Dietz. Quote, tighter monetary policy from the Fed and persistently elevated construction costs has brought on a housing recession. Shout out to all our German listeners out there. We love you. Yeah, all of them. All of them. We know, we see the analytics. They're there. They're there. There's They're one Germans. of the five. One of the five. Someone's in Germany. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and he and or she or they yeah. continue to uh, really take in the content. Good job, man. Yeah, good job you've for been, you. You've been coached well. Yeah, I think it's the accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll do the rest of the show like this. No, yeah. no we won't. Yeah, we will. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so you are saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then on top of that, uh, Robert Schiller, 
Yeah, the Schiller Index. Very good. I like him a lot. Like him a lot. Yeah. 2013 Nobel Prize winner for economics. I think yeah, he, he knows. I think he, he knows he a little bit. Yeah. I think he knows what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah, you can't yeah. like that on the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on the radio. <laughs> yeah, in German. <laughs> Back to the radio. Yeah. Uh, he he likes to look at buyer the, the buyer traffic number, which is included in that NAHB index. I like that one too because that really tells you how many people are actually in the market looking. But there's some weird metrics with that with that particular thing because it's not easy to gauge. It's not easy to gauge, but based on this, right? That buyer traffic number on the NAHB index dropped to 32, which, by the way, is the lowest number since April 2014, with the exception of the beginning of the pandemic. See, that's another problem. So NAHB, the National Association of Home Builders, um, the National Association of Realtors, all these companies self-report data. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't want to get, as Saeed always says, conspiratorial, but I don't, don't want to be that guy. But what I will say is it behooves them to take in data the same way anybody else does and they all have their chief economists and they all have people that are in their niche in their specialty mm -hmm. there has to be an emotional connection a bias right like if i built something and i'm doing this every single day and i'm in this business right it's hard for for me even as an economist who's a smart person not to have a sector biased mm -hmm. and, and most people think that oh an economist is an economist they don't understand the economy well, no dude a lot of them have specialties a lot of them yeah like the, the guys at the National Association of Realtors. You don't think that the people there all have real estate backgrounds and real estate focus. You think he's the best economist to talk to about the stock market? Right. So they all have kind of these underlying theories about where the market is going and how that'll impact their underlying sectors. But the problem that you always get is that it's in the same way investors are different. You have a real estate guy who doesn't like investing in stocks. You have a stock guy who doesn't like investing in real estate. And that's because their disciplines aren't cross-disciplined. Yeah. They're not, they're not into these different, you know, understandings of philosophies is i like what i know i do it well i'm going to stick there and i'm going to grow and diversify within that portfolio right well that's the same thing with these guys but what i like about about this index and why i like that it's viewed as a leading indicator right the three components of it like the permits aspect the the beginning house beginnings and house completions because of the quantifiable those are very quantifiable, very quantifiable exactly yeah. that's why i like this in particular where you can compare it year over year and see the decline and you can see that there's a real problem here well it's also interesting too is to see how home builders have pivoted since the great recession so for, mm -hmm. for those who were uninitiated during the great recession we were suffering from a little bit of everybody and their mother who was a home builder getting the getting construction loans construction yeah. loans were just as easy to get as any other kind of loan out there mm -hmm. and a lot of these guys didn't have the capital to finish projects especially when the projects went underwater they couldn't sell them for the, the cost that made them yeah cost to make them so a lot of these contractors were like, okay, well, do I abandon this project? What do I do? Right. In some places like Arizona, you had tracks of homes that went unfinished in developments because it just didn't make sense for the builder to finish them. So with based on based on your background, how does this work? So if they have these construction loans that are out there, is this something that they can come back to the table and maybe like renegotiate and maybe extend it out so that... I don't think they'll need to at this particular point in the cycle. I, th I don't think there's, there's a tremendous amount of economic losses. I think a lot of these people are, are still getting concessions from, mm -hmm. from the home builders. They're still getting opportunities, lower prices, but the home builders are making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And people think that they're not getting paid parapassu with each sale. So they're paying off the loans first. They might make a little bit of money depending on their, their construction loan agreement, but the, really the bulk of their earnings comes after they've paid off the bank and they have the remaining assets left yeah. to sell. So... I don't think that, that, that there's a, as much impact to the home builders now. They've been, certainly been a lot more conservative and smarter and holding a lot more capital, which is what they didn't do last time. They were highly leveraged. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's a long, long, painful road for them to figure out what's coming next because you have this weird period in the economy that we're in right now where there's clearly a supply issue. Yet there's, I think it was 64% or something like that, some crazy number. I could find it. That the, we're at the highest home ownership rate in history right now. Oh, really? Which flies in the face of America becoming a renter economy. Mm hmm Right? People were so worried about institutional money coming in, buying all these properties. Well, that's not actually true. There's still plenty of people that are buying homes, and, and so much so that it's, it's palpably different than it had been historically. Even in the face of all this happened, now I think some of that is the historic low interest rates and, and a lot of that lead up to the pre previous year or two. Yeah. But I think that, that there's, a, there's a vast... Disconnect. Home prices for the quarter were up 14.2% from a year ago, slightly lower than the 15.4% year over year. That's one year. One year. One That's a year. lot. That's a lot. And there was a statistic, I wonder if I can find it, where it was this insane amount of leap in the last several years. It was like 40-something percent. Uh, oh, here we go. 
Majority of 80%, a majority, 80% of the U.S. metro areas saw double-digit home price increases last quarter, or 148 out of 185. That's up 70, that's up from 70% of cities in the first quarter. I mean, that's insane, dude. Insane. And I think you and I were talking right before the podcast, we both saw this report that uh, there was a jump in a Google search of sell my home fast, mm-hmm. something something in the tune of like over 2,000%. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Pe- people are seeing like these home prices, and it's, and it's crazy. Now, how and the houses are staying on the market longer? Because I think I sent you one that was down the street from my brother in law's house. That great property, great neighborhood, you know, great school district. They had the price cut. It's been on the market twice as long. Yeah, no, I've seen it. I've seen it a lot. So that's where you look at the data and you say to yourself, okay, the data that we're getting. And again, I, I should probably put a big ass asterisk on this. This data that I just read about the values going up in this particular article mm-hmm. was written from a national association of realtors perspective and i'm not just saying that as as conjecture that that's actually because the economist in this particular instance is the economist for the national association of realtors so yeah it's not a situation where i I think that i think it's lawrence something whatever the hell his name is but effectively this is their economist talking about some of the stuff so some of the data like i'll I'll read you some more quotes uh the mortgage payment on a typical existing single-family home with a 20% down payment jumped to $1,841 last quarter, according to the report. That's an increase of $44 a month. $444. $444 a month. I can't read it all. And every time you correct me, it bothers me. It really bothers my soul. I don't have to do any of the shit talking. You do it yourself. I mean, what <laughs> else are you going to do? You're clearly not an athlete. Yeah, I am an athlete. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's up $444 uh, a month from the first quarter and $612 a month from a year ago. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's up a significant amount of money. So when you think about it in the context of the 20% down jumped to $1,841 last quarter, that's up $612 from a year ago. Dude, that's a third. Exactly. That's, that's a, a third. That's a big deal. That's why affordability is a huge problem. That's a huge problem. And that's where rates have, have essentially doubled at this point. If we get a little bit more than that, I mean, you're talking... 40% almost. I know. And that's what, I mean, people are saying, okay, it's doubled, but in the grand scheme of things, rates aren't at historic highs. So, but dude, affordability is, is, is out of control. Yeah. Affordability is out, way out of control. And I think that the irony is, is that people will put pressure on things. So I highlight these studies because I think the data here is, is, is good data. It's Lawrence Yoon, uh, National Association of Realtors Chief Economist. So yeah. Okay. Uh, but there is... I like Moody's. You know that we use Moody's in the office, right? So Moody's, I've been a fan of. Moody's is, in my mind, the largest largest data aggregator that doesn't have a professional bias. And I've disagreed many, many, many times with Moody's analytics. Okay. But for the record, whenever you do any kind of professional modeling, you don't just have like a model and the results. Okay. You have an upside scenario if mm-hmm. things go well. Right. You have a baseline if things go according to plan, but not like super well. Okay. Right. And you have a downside. If things go bad, mm-hmm. in our particular instance, we use a Fed severe adverse case uh, modeling scenario, and that's what we layer in for our, you know, what the downside looks like. Exactly. We always hear about the results of models and pro forma projections. People will talk about National Association of Realtors saying the home value is going to go up next year, but that's only one model result, and you don't really know if that's their upside. You don't really know if that's their downside. That's their, that's their baseline. They're just saying this is going to happen. Yeah. But we also know that there's things in the economy that have fluidity to them. Right now, between now and September. When the next federal interest rate increase happens, yeah, if if some meeting, right, if some bad data comes out, right, that could dynamically change the next increase from what I think is widely considered to be fifty basis points, but seventy five basis points is also on the table. It's it's on the table. I mean, you got to think that if if the goal is truly to get it there, it might behoove them to take it to seventy five basis points. According to Bloomberg's probability index, which you know, uh, and many people who listen to the show know, I rely heavily on as far as where I think. The interest rate increases will go. It's mm-hmm. kind of like my version of watching the you know the numbers in the casinos. Okay, uh, they have it about even sh- an even shot now between fifty basis points and seventy five basis points. Like yeah. nobody knows for sure. It's not clearly delineated, and all of the good news came out and kind of leveled it out because I think people were leaning towards seventy five. I think that there's a fifty fifty shot, yeah, depending on what data comes out next. So for you to rely on that kind of stuff for your annual projections, if you project information forward now, right, doing exactly what that article told you not to do. Relying on a lagging indicator, mm-hmm. you have made a fundamental decision. Exactly. And I mean, for, for those people that are listening, like 25 basis points is a huge deal. I mean, it, the cost of borrowing goes up and it, you got to remember the debt that the, that the U.S. has, they got to pay interest back on that debt. So for every 25 basis points, it goes up. It's a big freaking deal. It's not just like, 
you know, doesn't mean anything. So let me give you some models, okay? This is not Moody's. So Fannie Mae, 16% increase next year. Forecast for 2022. Whoa. Right? Freddie Mac, 12.8%. Mind you, their data, which we just read, is not exactly rosy. Mm-hmm. National Association of Realtors, 11.5%. Zyman, 10%. CoreLogic, 9.6%. HPES, 9.3%, and MBA, 2.7%. Okay? These are all models that even Current Matters, the world's shittiest real estate website and Instagram, talks about. And they feed this information to realtors. That's what they do. They sell their data to realtors so that they can use in their social media platforms. Right. All right. This is Moody's. Okay? Nat, this is a quote. Nationally, Moody's Analytics predicts U.S. home prices will rise 0% next year. That's a dramatic deceleration from the 19.7% home price uptick we saw over the past 12 months. Over the past 12 months and completely drastic difference than, compared to everyone else. Drastically different compared to everyone yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, and think I would about say it. Painting a completely different type of picture. Completely different picture. And keep in mind, Moody's aggregates data from commercial real estate, from multifamily and non-owner-occupied commercial. They, they acquired Reese, which was another massive data aggregator. Mm-hmm. They're doing business lines of credit. I mean, they're, they're in, steeped in a space. Right. So, but they don't have a certain necessarily a direct bias. They're providing data that people rely on. Now, I've disagreed with their conclusions a number of times, and and their chief economist and I no longer are friends. Right. Oh, well. but, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, look, it, it, I get it, and I get I get their position. And sometimes people will argue that Moody's can be conservative because b- banks rely on that data to make their assumptions. And if banks wind up in another great recessionary like event where they did get you know models that didn't predict conservative and right. they got bit in the ass by right. you know not having been prepared for it, that can be problematic. But what I would say is, <sighs> so what do you say, let me ask you a question. So what do you say to the person that uh, makes this argument that says that um, home building is slowing and is not keeping up with pace, so the inventory is not going to be there, so it, it, it won't affect the housing market as much as maybe it should? Well, I, mean, I think that the, a, lot get, a lot gets lost in the translation of what people realize the, the language they're using is wrong. We're saying, so really, this is a standard real, real estate realtor tactic. The market is not going to crash, Said. Yeah. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah. It means nothing. It's nebulous. Mm-hmm. I think if, you were, if we had 2 or 3% increases year over year and the market went down 20%, you'd be like, oh, fuck, that's a crash. Mm-hmm. But if the market's been going up 19% year over year, according to movies, right. and it goes down 20% and we lose a single year of what has been year after year massive increases, is that a crash? Or is that a correction? Right. These nebulous terms get thrown out all the time. And I think it's easy to go online, go on social media, talk to your friends, be out there and hear someone say, oh, the market's going to crash. And you have a completely different definition of what they're thinking that is. Right. Exactly. If you're expecting a 2008 like crash, the great recessionary crash. Because that's the only crash that I've been a part of. So that's all I tie it to. I would say that is not, not only highly improbable. Right. I would say that is not the way this economic change will go. Now, I do think we're going to have significant impacts. I predicted early on, I think. It was originally 10 to 12%, now 12 to 15% corrections are, are likely. I, I still think those numbers are good. I just think that it's going to be a lot longer ride than we expected. Right. Which means those people that are still out there looking to buy, and if you can afford it, like you, you can very well pull the trigger if you plan on staying there for, what, three to five years and just refi out? The number one question I get asked right there, what do I do? Three months. Every three months, you reevaluate. If you have a utility need, your family needs that space, or you want that, you know, for you to grow, that is, you need to buy. That, mm-hmm. There's no amount of money in the world going to get that time back with your family and give you the comfort that you're missing out on. So I, I don't, I'm not like in the Patrick Bet Davis camp where he's like, you know, wait, hold, there's crazy buying opportunities. There might be, but buying opportunities aren't worth passing up on time with your family. Yeah, passing up on on the, your quality of life if you don't have a family. You know, the things that you need and want out of a place to live and be comfortable. Right. So I, I always tell people, just wait three months. Nobody has a, a crystal crystal ball, although we got a pretty damn good one. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? good. laughs> but it's just one of those things where I think people really try to make their home their investment. And we keep saying, and I'll say it again and again and again. We've said it probably the last five podcasts now. Your home is not your investment. Mm-hmm. It's utility. It's utility. You, you need that function out of your home. If you're lucky enough to be single and not have responsibilities and you want a house hack or whatever it is and you have a, a partner and a spouse and you feel comfortable doing that, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you. But for most people in America, your home is going to be utility. It's not supposed to be an investment. You hope for an investment. 
your other investments that you make outside of that is really where your net worth will come from. Although, ironically, most people's net worth is centered in their home home value because they don't invest outside of their home, which is another catastrophic mistake. You say, do you? Do you? Boo-boo. Boo, no. God. I took it a Just step when further. I thought you were going good, like the five-star thing going was solid. Good. Do you go? Damn. <laughs> Damn. Come on, man. Come on. I got something I'm, I'm going to put in my pocket. Not my, not my real pocket. Don't, don't, make, don't make me go through your pocket. No, no. Hold my pocket. Yeah. No, I got something in my... I've been holding on to this. I didn't want to give you this quote until I saw you. Because uh, okay. I want to see the look on your face. Oh, no. Ready? No, no. I know how much you love cryptocurrency. Oh. I know, I know how the crypto bros and you are homies. And I know that if one day you show up missing, I know somebody with a crypto wallet took you out. I know where this is going. Do you? Yeah. Where's it going? Where Bitcoin's at now? 25 grand? No, 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 no. Okay. What is it? You have a little faith. Okay. All right. I'm going to make fun of you and do it to your face. Okay, let's go. I'm not going to set you up this much. Actually, I would set you up. You would. You yeah, would. Yeah, 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 you are that. Let me tell you how fat you are, Sight. No. Um, quote. Ready? Mm-hmm. Here is the title of the article. Metaverse real estate underwater. Oh. <laughs> metaverse real estate, bro. Come on, bro. You didn't get in? <laughs> I did not get into metaverse real estate. It was an interesting article. It talked about Snoop Dogg had his piece of real estate. Uh, and yeah, I didn't realize he's he like, one of the first investors in there, right? I doubt he invested. I'm, I'm sure they gave it to him. Well, yeah, and he did to co-endorse it. And there's several different metaverses out there. And people were paying a crazy amount of money. I could read some of the quotes in the article. If you, I'll read you this quote. If you want to hear the rest of the quotes, they're good. All right. They fire. Let's go. Fire. All right, let's hear All it. All right. Everybody grab your wallets. <laughs> and thank Jesus, your Lord and Savior. This ain't you. Say <laughs> if you're Muslim. Praise Allah. Yeah. The weekly volume of property purchased across the top five metaverse worlds has fallen to $650,000 for the week of August 7th, down from $62.5 million in mid-November, a drop of nearly 99%. Oh, my God. Y'all thought you homeowners were having some problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, how much money do you got to have to be dropping that kind of money? At that point, you deserve to lose that. Wow. Coming out hot. Yeah. This is why I worry about your well-being, bro. Yeah, you got to get bro. into a gated community, yeah. man. Like, this is not going to be <laughs> yeah. good for you. This is bad. You, these I mean, guys are upset. You, who bought how much? Bro, the funny part was I was trying to read the names of who bought stuff. Yeah. And these are the names. P-Ape. P-Ape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're anonymous. <laughs> this, this are, no, yeah, but it's a terrible. <laughs> P-Ape's parcel could now be worth barely $25,000. He bought a home next to Snoop Dogg. Oh my God! I mean, can you imagine? He was snuck yeah, Can you imagine? PA. Can you imagine coming home to your wife? And be like, so, so, babe. Uh, what happened? I bought some real estate. It just was in the metaverse. So, uh, all that money you thought there's we a had? lot of people who went all in on that stuff, man. Like, like stupid all in. Come on, man. Have I told you the whole board eight yacht yacht club like troll thing? Troll thing? Oh man, Adam sent me this, and I would. You know, if Adam's listening to the show, I hate you, bro. I want to watch the whole fucking thing. It was an hour long. Fuck well, you. <laughs> But we really love you. It was the middle of the day. I'm supposed to be working. I'm like, I'm taking lunch right now. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, he sent me uh, he sent me this, I guess it was supposed to be a conspiracy theory, but it was like how Board 8 Yacht Club is the biggest troll ever. Oh my God. And it was a detail by detail breakdown of why it's inherently racist, the source of it. Oh no. There's even like there's there's even very popular respected individuals who are African American who are calling it out as being like, why has it got to be apes? Why can't it be penguins? And uh-huh. they were, they, I mean, and he was articulating. You know, I think it was Dame Dash or something like that. But he, yeah. he was articulating like, look, like this is. They, they could have picked any any animal in the world. Okay, they picked the one that's. And he's like, I don't want to be that guy who's too sensitive. Yeah, but there's a lot of things here. He's like, there we're spending our money on this ridiculous. I never, I, mean, looked, I never looked at it that way, so it's hard to. I didn't hard, either. It's hard to understand. But if you're coming from that, that you know, after an hour of fact checking this shit, I got to tell you, man, it, it makes you go, damn. But don't aren't the the people that started that the initial investors that the and the people that created that they were credible sources, right? That's what made that's what made them kind of stand out, and I mean, people were willing to invest in them. That's how people get involved in, in all these projects, right? You look at the people creating them. So No, that's not the way this works. No? Really, with cryptocurrency and stuff like the NFTs and stuff like that, and a lot of, I don't know if you know this, but Mark Cuban's getting sued. For, yeah, I saw, the, yeah, I saw the headline. I didn't read it, but. Essentially, he, he was roping people into a cryptocurrency exchange. Yeah. Offering them kind of co-branding almost with, with his, the Mavericks. Yeah. Oh, no. And they're saying that he essentially induced people into doing this and was effectively lying to them i mean i'm paraphrasing a lot from a legal argument but you get right. you the picture and they're saying like look like he, he was literally calling people 
saying like, hey, like, you got to get in. This is amazing, blah, blah, blah. So here's the way this works. In most cases, like Snoop Dogg situation. That metaverse was nothing. And so Snoop Dogg was like, all right, yeah, give me this property, blah, blah, blah. We'll, exactly. we'll hype it up. And he hypes it. Yeah. He's getting paid to do it. It's just like, with uh, this is going to be shitty. The Mind Pump guys, right? They have an opportunity to invest in something because of who they are and their, their cachet in the market, right? Right, exactly. People come to them. They have a following. They, exactly. they, they happen to be ethical and back the ones they love. Yeah, a lot of so, integrity. A lot of integrity. But not all celebrities are like that. Exactly. Some celebrities are like, yo, I'll tie my name to it. How much are you going to pay me? Yeah, exactly. And what's the payday? Yeah, and how much of this are you going to give me? And now a lot of these people are getting so cavalier that just like a lot of movie stars. Ironically, side note, I looked at Will Smith today on IMDb. Them motherfuckers got four movies in, in, in process, including... Well, they, were, they were put on hold, right? I don't know, but yeah. there, there's four. They're, I think they're waiting, they're waiting to see, you know... Oh, Bad Boys 4 is out. It, it, it's, oh, it's on IMDb. Man. It's they like a, stop it's a after, possible... After three, man. There's a Bad Boys 4 that's coming out. It's, 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 on, it's literally out on the IMDb, and you can see that it, it's, it's, gonna be, it's likely to be made. I feel like he's taking such a hit that we could become the new Bad Boys. You and me? Yeah. You and I. Am I Will Smith? You and I. Your grammar is not really there. It is you and I. Shit. Yeah. Am I Shook Smith? <laughs> you could be Shook Smith, yeah. And you're Chris Rock? Wow, bro. Shame on you. Martin what? Lawrence, bro. God damn. I thought there was such a good comedy go, go, go. <laughs> Get out, bro. I'm kicking you out of your own house. Get the fuck out. Bad was, boys, I thought, bro. I real... Hey, everyone, hit him up in the DMs and just shame him. Did God you, really not get, you really didn't get the joke, did you? No. The new bad boys? Come oh, on. Damn. damn. No, that's not what you meant. That's exactly Come on, what I meant. Stop it. Come on, man. Bro, I'm old. When that movie first came out, you were like a child. I'm an, I was old enough to know. Yeah, okay, yeah, so yeah. don't come at me with that nonsense. Although, I will say they fell out. I didn't watch the last one. Mike Lowry. I did not watch the last one. You didn't watch that? I, I watched it just because no that invested. Pot committed. Oh, yeah, I guess maybe. That's how I got roped into a lot of series. But uh, so, yeah, a lot of these people hype this stuff up. There's, no, there's nobody like, like brand value. Nobody looks into it. So when this whole like Board Ape Yacht Club thing came up, uh, it was because a lot of celebrities were investing in it and they were, you know, saying that they, I got this Board Ape Yacht Club, you know, monkey, whatever, blah, blah. And here you go. So that, it took off. That's how it took off. It wasn't the creators. Like, do you know who the creators were? No, I don't know any creators of any okay, well, NFT projects, but you're not I missing. Mean, you're not missing. That's what. That's what. If I were, if I were to invest in one, that'd be the first place I go look at. Is you know, who are the creators? Who built it? Who's backing it? You know what I mean? If it's like that kid on the internet who's dropping the word bozo, I'm, I'm not investing in anything like that, right? <laughs> but if it's if it's someone who's a credible source that's heavy in the game, sure. Yeah, well, look, I don't know that there's a credible heavy in the game source in a brand new frontier. Yeah. So it's all smoke and mirrors. And, and it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Clearly, the, the metaverse was a brilliant idea with the idea of virtual reality coming to play. But we have to be honest with ourselves. The social media companies like Meta, who literally changed their name for it, they're going to own that space. Yeah. It's going to be Ready Player One, and they're going to own those networks. Right. I mean, it's probably right now a little too early for, for the times. But it, it'll, I can, you can easily see how it, it will eventually get there. I can, I can see a world where that will exist. Um, oh yeah, for sure, one thousand percent. Led, led by porn, of course. Yeah, like you said, you yeah, mentioned, you mentioned that. Yeah, you mentioned, everything. yeah, you mentioned that in the past. And then I even heard uh, somebody was talking about how like Nike had bought space in there. And yeah, they, well, they bought Artifact. Art, Artifact was an NFT company that I really, I, I'm so like two weeks before they announced it, I was ready to buy some of their NFTs, and I was yeah. like, oh, these are dope. Yeah, and I was I was trying to wait for a better price because I'm an idiot. And then yeah. two weeks later, Nike's like, "We bought Artifact." I'm like, "Fuck!" Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the that was went through the roof. That was the that was the argument that the first argument that I heard that made sense to me. I'm like, wow, who's spending money in in this metaverse space? I'm like, well, these people that are going to show up in there, you want to look fly in the real world. Why wouldn't you want to look fly in the metaverse? Yeah, I, mean, I can see how people are going to want to buy that stuff, and yeah, it's like the same way kids buy different. I guess they call them skins in video games, like so different outfits. Yeah, I get that, but I think a lot of that we were trying to force. I don't think we let it happen on its own organically. Yeah. I think we were trying to force it before its time because I don't know a whole lot of people that are into the VR space that that constantly use it. Yeah, I don't. Even, exactly, that's true. I don't think it's. I don't think it's there yet. But I don't think it's, there's been wide scale adoption yet. And I think you have to get first wide scale adoption. Have people playing in games, just like just like it was with the internet, right? Like we went from essentially you were playing games on a disc at your house, right? Right. Well, actually, Nintendo before that for you young kids out there, those were cassettes anyway. Right. Disc, right? And then it evolved. It's now evolved to online gaming, and now you can play with. I remember the days you had to sit on the couch and play video games with your friends on the couch in the same room. With a wire. With a wire. Plugged in, yeah. yeah. Not these Bluetooth controllers. Yeah, now you got headsets, Bluetooth controllers. Your, your friends are halfway across the country in different worlds. I mean, right. it, it, it's insane. Yep. And so 
whatever. But I want to talk about some real world shit. Okay. And because we're getting long in the tooth on time, I know that none of our five listeners are actually listening to this. So probably nobody will ever hear this. So I don't have to worry about Scientology putting a hit out on me. Okay. Oh, right. oh yeah. Oh, so, no. Oh, yeah. We're going deep. Science. So deep. All right. If you're a Scientologist, hang up. We said nothing but nice things after this. I promise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So hang up. God damn. Like, I, I am off today. It's so like, off. It's so not good. It's so bad. I'm just letting it go now. I know. And it's and I, I respect you for not taking the shot. Uh, don't take shots for me. <laughs> the reviews are good. Damn it. 4.9. Yeah. Here we go again. <laughs> All right. So this last weekend, Grant Cardone, who is a known Scientologist, had a massive event that he invited all of these high-profile people from social media to. Right. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Grant Cardone, because I wasn't. Really? Up, in, up okay. until maybe like a month or two ago. He's another one of these real estate guys that's selling courses online. But he's got a used car salesman kind of vibe. He's, he's equally loved and hated. I can't tell you if, if he's a good person or a bad person. I can just right. tell you that the return on his investments that I've looked at and seen data on is just not good. You could do right. much better on your own. His real business is... He's a syndicator. Yeah. He's trying to get your money as a quote accredited investor to invest in projects. And really, he's the one who's going to make more money out of everybody else. Mm-hmm. But what bothered me about this is so many of the people that I followed, like Jamil. I love Jamil. Right. He's a good dude. I listened to that episode. Yeah, he's, he's a good, great Sounds dude. like a good dude. He went to that event. He went all in. He he was, you, there was a picture of him with the 10x, two, two hands in the air, two, you know, five fingers up, uh, 10x. See, I was going to say, but, what, if, what if some people are going because they, they just want to see the inside scoop? Fine. Dude, there, there was a... Uh, just don't promote it is what you're saying? Ryan Pineda, I was on his podcast. Right. He was nice to me. He's a good, he's a good guy. Uh-huh. He went to that. And all these guys are going to... And then the whole time I'm sitting here looking at... The, they're, of course, all of them have big followings on social media. And all of them are posting that they're there. And the light bulb goes on for me over the weekend. You guys are fucking idiots. You guys think you're going there for like a mastermind with him for him to help you out? Uh-huh. No. You guys are all free PR in cross-promotion to his brand across millions of people, mm-hmm. but he's selling it to you like, I'm going to help you. Meanwhile, you're being indoctrinated into his Scientology environment where you will ultimately be a microphone for him in Scientology if you want to move up in your relationship with him. And it is a known fact. You want to move up in his organization? Yeah. If you're a Scientologist, you have a greater likelihood of moving up. Is that a, that's that's a known thing, man. That's, that's not even known, debatable at this point. Are you kidding? That's a known thing because he's a Scientologist, and that, that's that's how a lot of these. I mean, he's openly, no, like he does, like uh, yeah, he he promotes. I don't know that it's open, but I've known some people within the organization who've made that clear that it's known. Like this is not an exception thing. Like this uh, is see. just how it is. So, and look, I, I guess if you're in the Midwest and someone's Christian, they want to hire just Christians. Whatever. Like I'm not no judgment by me, but I'm just saying these guys were all like hyping and like, oh, I went to this mastermind. I feel so motivated, and I'm like, you guys have no idea what you just did. Mm. You were literally used as a market. He paid for you guys to go there to brand him to millions of people who all saw him yeah, in your, your feed. Use your platform. And you guys put him up on the pedestal as somebody bigger than, than, he, than he really should be. And people who don't know him, like you, can look at him and go, oh, this guy's rented this massive yacht. He's got this crazy like studio. And, and you could go, wow, like, I want to know more about him. And you could go invest money because you followed Ryan Pineda. You followed, followed Jamil. So I did what I had to do. Okay, which is, I mean, first of all, anyone that sounds like a car salesman, and just steer away. Like, if they're if they're pushing that agenda that hard, like you should be coming across it organically amongst people you trust. So here is one of the definitions of a cult. Okay. Okay. This is not my opinion. This is literally you Google it. There's two definitions. Of the second one. Ready. A misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. A cult of personality surrounding the leaders. Cult. Right. They have literally worshipped Grant Cardone without even realizing that's what they were doing. And they did it under the auspice of this guy's trying to help me with this big mastermind where he connects us all. Right. And it's like, damn. Yeah. So I, mean, I, did, I did what I had to do. I posted today on social media. Mm-hmm. A lot of people I follow were at Grant, Grant Cardone's event this past weekend. I do not endorse or support the culture he is cultivating. As a result, as much as I may like some of these people, I will be unfollowing all of them. I don't want or need to grow my brand by cross-promoting a culture which would sacrifice my integrity and ethos. Good for you, man. And I unfollow a all lot them. of people. A lot of people wouldn't do that. And this is something that um, not just in this space, but I think that um, you've shown me and you've preached for a long time, right? Inaction is action. Yeah, right? 1,000%. N- deciding not to move 
is a movement. Can be a movement. Now, there are consequences and repercussions for things like that, but you have to be willing to live with those consequences, you know? Yeah, I, and that's fine. But what I've, what I've found, a good friend of mine recently, she was elated and over the top about something that happened uh, to her from a creative perspective. She got an opportunity and she was so, so happy. And I asked her, I'm like, why are you so happy about this? I don't understand. And she said, because I know you're not, you're not in the creative space, but she said, you're saying, I, I got this without sacrificing who I was. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, so many of the people that I work with, artists, well-known celebrities, movie stars in general, they have all gotten to the height of their fame by having to sacrifice some part of who they are. Yeah. They, they've all had to either rejigger their position or change their narrative or align themselves with somebody they don't necessarily like yeah. to get ahead. Right. And she was elated that she got this opportunity without having to do that. And she's like, you understand how rare that is in Hollywood. I'm not just rare. Yeah, I'm sure in Hollywood it must be extremely rare. But I mean, you and I, we've seen this not only in business, but in our personal lives, you know, like where people just to keep status quo, I'd rather just not speak up. Yeah, I despise that behavior. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely have a problem keeping my mouth shut about shit. We all know what's right and we all know what's wrong. When shit is wrong, it needs to get called out. And if it's your friend, I've always said this, shout out to the late Kobe Bryant, right? Late, great Kobe Bryant. He always said, I'd rather be the type of friend to sit across from you at a dinner table and tell you, you got something in your teeth than to just sit there and act like I don't see it. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad we brought this up. <laughs> you're wearing a black shirt. I can see your belly button. Through. No, you yeah, come on, right man. I you, 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 you're wearing a white shirt. It. I see your titties. Uh, bro, this is a thick cotton shirt. You <laughs> no, it's a, yeah, it's <laughs> a thick cotton shirt. Stop, stop saying this for the podcast. Wearing, are you still wearing triple XLs? It's double XL. I've reconciled the fact that I can't ever wear non-XL. I'm, I'm not going to be a How are you going to follow up a Kobe Bryant quote with... Uh, I can see your belly button? Yeah, come on, man. Like, have a little bit more respect. I feel like if Kobe Bryant were here and he saw you, he would want to be honest with you as a friend and tell you that I can see your belly You're button. You're welcome. You're lucky I didn't put my finger into it. <laughs> That's how lean I am now, dude. I'll bet you $1,000 I can get past my first knuckle on your belly button. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you $1,000 I can get past my fist through that first layer of fat, <laughs> that roll of fat. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why we're going to get canceled before we ever get famous. It's okay. All right. Well, that's it for the show. It's Sasha Baron Cohen of podcasting, a.k.a. Jeff Goldblum's younger, sexier brother and his fat friend. We're out. No, no. That Mr. Crispy High Resolution Audio. No, you can't steal my... That was the best thing I ever wrote. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so gimmicky. I can't wait for us to get, get rid of it. People are listening to it. They're like, it's not a different standard. It's the higher standard. That's a good intro. Come on, man. Oh, we could do better. Yeah, fuck you. You can do the intros next time then. Bye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you were listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.